You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. How are you doing, Sid Talk, over there? Oh, you talking to me? Yes. <laughs> you talking to me? You talking to me? You talking to me? The movie references out our wazoo's over here. Um. Can I help you with something? Did you want something from me? Before the after the show discussion is uh, actually a small movie review we're going to do. But it wasn't the before the after the show discussion. No, we don't. Before the after the show discussion was you showing off your little light that you just put on your desk and telling me how great it is. And I'm looking over there and it looks cool. And that's about it. There's not a whole lot of discussion about a new light that you lay out across the back of your desk. And now everything emanates green from your side of the room. It's awesome. It that did. was the before the after the show discussion. Now, if you want to start off with a... Movie after review. the beginning of the after the show movie podcast discussion. We watched, we watched a uh, movie yesterday called... Shouldn't this was, be in our little section there, Games and A School I was going to say Resident Evil. So I guess that's a no. It wasn't Resident Evil. No, unless you want to. Wait. No, I don't care. It's just, you've got it over there. You've yeah, well, little... that's just so I remembered it. Right. And there's nowhere to put it over there. All right, so we watched Resident Evil Regurgence. No, we did not watch Resident <laughs> Evil. We didn't. No, we watched uh, Independence Day Resurgence. <laughs> he says with a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was a big fan of the original Independence Day. Uh, it's ti- in the time. Yes, it's like pure schlocky science fiction, you know, but big budget. Yep, I liked it. It was in the era of, like, the beginning of big budget films. Like, you'd never seen anything like them. Like, never seen anything like everybody staying outside, looking up, and then in the spaceship's so huge that it cast a shadow on everything for miles and miles. I remember going to see it in the theater, I believe, three times in that summer, because I lived in Florida. I watched it on uh, DVD. I don't have, didn't watch it in there, but still liked it a lot. Now, the sequel... We understand the... that it's dumb, though. We're not saying it's a genius kind no. of script. And the sequel, all these years later, um, Independence Day Regurgence. High Hope, not Regurgence, Resurgence. I like Regurgence. Right, High Hope. Yeah, but that pretty much tells you their review. I'll tell you my review. It is awful. (laughs) Terrible. Um, I I didn't even have any fun. The only fun I had, actually, was making fun of it. That was the fun. Because it looked like a 12-year-old did the CGI in parts. Not all the time. Some of it was alright. But there were moments where, and mostly the moments that were terrible, were people just talking to each other. And you were like, where the hell are they? Are they in a square box? Because they don't look like they're in that scene. So there was that. It was terrible. Like, you know the bit where the president's giving the um, speech to all the people? Yep. It's like they were in a little room on top of a plinth thing. (laughs) And they were. Yeah. <laughs> they but were I mean, it looked like that, didn't it? Like, they had different lighting to everybody I else. I think, unfortunately, as soon as it starts, and within the first few minutes, you've already realized this is not going to be great. And so then after that... Did you, you realize inst- that straight away? Instantly. Like, uh, instantly. Even before I watched it, I think I've seen enough trailers. And I just... I don't know. You can just tell there's... There's not that, if it can't be what it was in 1996, which you don't want it to be a copy of it, even though they're trying very hard to be, um, you can't recapture that. The combination of it being okay for it to be dumb, 
and still giving you those few moments of like, yeah, kick ass kind of a thing, right? And the world is under a big threat and we all need to pull together. It's very flimsy and superficial and yet it all pulled together in that in the first one. Right. You cannot recapture that usually. You just cannot. Especially when you don't have the lead actor. You don't have, and it's fine without him, but the explanation is crazy. I won't do any spoilers, but there's no moment of Oh, I don't. We're over the heroics. We're over everything. We're into complete B movie now, which is really a shame. Yeah. To me. There was parts of it that reminded me of Pacific Rim. But Pacific Rim was way yeah, better. Yeah, Pacific Rim was right. Skyline, you know, with the international yeah. cast of people yep. coming together. Skyline was fine. Yeah. Uh, Battleship was fine. They're all kind of hokey and, and I dumb. I mean, Battleship but... is really, really dumb. Yeah. But there's something a bit better somehow. <laughs> there, I don't know. There's something you can't explain no. why it's good. This or, is rolling What's down. the other one with the big giant monsters? It wasn't Battleship. Pacific Rim. Okay. Yeah, with the dude. Yeah. yeah. Where yeah. you pilot them by running and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. Now, that was really cool. I like that one. Um, but this one... But there's enough coolness to override the dumbness. In this one, there's too much dumbness yeah. and bad-looking CGI. And don't get me wrong, Pacific Rim had a fair amount of dumbness, because it had that Charlie Day character in the middle there that was really awful. Like, there's always a dumb, stupid character in these kind of movies. There's always a character you're supposed to hate. There's always... And this one had stereotypical... Uh, the black guy in the movie is a warlord... Like an African warlord. Yeah, they go to Africa. That's the only reason we have Jeff Goldblum is to go to Africa. Yeah. Why are Jeff, we Why are we talking so much about it? We're gonna waste a lot. Jeff of time Goldblum on this. is in it. Um, but they basically we didn't like it. Jeff I Gold- like the heart of the idea of why the aliens are going around this gal the universe, but I won't say what it is because I do like that. That doesn't you can't take away why I like that just because the rest of it's crappy. But it'd make a good gritty hardcore ass kicking alien movie with that at the heart of it. I'm on board. Now, my um, final thing about Resident Evil, Independence Day, Regurgence, Resurgence, is why the hell would they waste such a good license on this movie? Like, because that first film, people will always remember it. It's one of those movies, isn't it? Like, I wouldn't say it's a classic, but it is kind of in sci-fi world. Absolutely. In big blockbuster movies. It it crossed a lot of things that hadn't really happened before an enemy an alien there was no question once we once he goes into the mind of the president what the point is to mm. annihilate everybody i guess you know we want and to, we hadn't seen that kind of cgi right. and yet. then the the overwhelming size of it it wasn't some little spaceship landed in the woods and nobody and everybody wondered what it was this is like an undeniable alien Invasion. This and one so just seems like a waste of the whole Independence Day thing. It oh, might yeah. as well not even be called Independence Day and just have been another sci-fi movie that was something else. Because I feel like you've wasted Independence Day's... Any hope of it ever being good has been wasted with that movie. So that's Resident Evil Regurgence. Independence Day Resurgence. Whatever it's called. Don't uh, watch that one. It's terrible. So, it is Saturday, March the 11th. It is after the show number 470. We're a podcast. We review movies. We don't always hate them, but that one in particular. We very rarely. I don't hate it either. I had a good time. I hate it. I didn't hate it. I will never watch that again. I would never watch it again, but I didn't hate it because I had a good time. I was kind of... I was once I realized it's just bad. I'm over. I was over it, and I was willing to go along for the ride and pick out any nuggets that threw me back to 1996, and then. Did you find any? Uh, yeah, few. 
Because I like the president and like Data. I have to call him Data because I always forget his name. But the wacky doctor who's been in a coma for 20 years. You know, the long-haired Data. It's a lot of convenient shit start, in this movie. Of course it's convenient. But what we're going to talk about this movie now. It's going to be a lot of convenient shit too. But it's in a different way. A little overly intellectualized convenience. Are you reviewing this movie now? I will in a second when we get over this one. So he's after the show number 470 where we review movies. Uh, this week's movie review is Nocturnal Animals. It's a 2016 movie. Uh, actually nominated for an Oscar for Michael Shannon. His supporting performance. It's released on Blu-ray. It's out now. You can get it. It's rated R. It's from our friends at Universal. And uh, Sid I'll give you the short synopsis of Nocturnal Animals. Ew. It's a little crisscrossy, but it's basically a story about love gone bad because of people's different expectations of life and about how that can go very, very bad and come back to bite you in the ass, basically. So it is a woman not liking her life. All right. Yes. So, um, Nocturnal Animals... (laughs) I'm sure the people who wrote it and the director would be like, is that it? Yeah. Well, I've seen shorter shorter (laughs) versions of it than that. Like, um, a man is writing a novel to, you know, like, real... Yeah. Are we going to be spoilers because it's hard not to? Yeah. Even though there's no big... Even though there's no big thing. There's no mystery. To call it a thriller is so stupid. I don't even understand why it's a thriller. I mean, there's some thrilling elements. Yeah, but that's not a thriller. A thriller is a thing that has to be solved. Unwound. and this is none of that, so no. it's very weird. Yeah, it's um, I let me start pre start off by saying yeah, there might be spoilers. Come back if you've not seen it. Um, go and watch it, then come and listen to what we have to say. Oh, if you don't care and you're never going to see this, listen to what we have to say, and we'll explain it for you. So, Nocturnal Animals um starts off very. I'm sure that sequence, that opening sequence, will stay in some people's minds. Yeah, and here, you want me to talk about that opening sequence? I'll explain it to it's you. It's very good You're going to comment on it. You'll comment on it because if it was a bunch of sexy, skinny women, you wouldn't even have given it a second thought and don't tell me you would I have. I think you would, too. No, you wouldn't. You would, that would be bullshit because you would not because it's a lot of very large, overweight women dancing slowly where all their fat is undulating and they're just dancing like as if you were a skinny stripper. Everyone's going to have this repulsive reaction, which is... An internal dive into what she ultimately feels about herself. So basically, it's a huge insult because she's trying to... I'm not making a huge insult. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about it itself. Yeah, the idea is she's got this big art installation where she has made videos of these women dancing naked and then having them laying on plinths kind of thing. Yeah, like dead or whatever. Sleeping. I don't know. Um, Well, we find out through the course of the movie how shitty she feels about herself. Therefore, this is... There are philosoph- the there world. are ideas about psychology and artists where you are you're putting yourself out into your work. So if you draw a lot of, you know, angry pictures, that means you're angry on the inside. So the way she feels about herself is so bad and she loathes herself. So her projection of herself are these overweight women. So Dancing. And also, you wouldn't have mentioned it if it was a bunch of sexy women. You would have forgot about it by now, but yet it sticks in your little mind, even though your wife could have been one of them. And that is, to me, it's like a gratuitous bullshit in-your-face. I'm, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about them. That it's like, it's just so a you were, thing. You it's don't pretentious. Agree? You don't like that? Well, it's pretentious as fuck. Well, if it's you had had- the movies that her... And her life is slightly pretentious, too. Yeah, the whole thing is pretentious. I mean, that's, that's where the I'm idea going with it. it. Yeah. Right. Right. So, it's just a it's just a thing where it's like, oh, what a statement. Now, 
I compared it a little bit, that scene specifically, I was saying to you, oh, it's a bit like David Lynch, something that David Lynch would do, which he did, which he has done weird things like that, where it's, it, it fits within the film more than something what David Lynch would do. But that beginning part fits it no way whatsoever. It's strictly for titillation. No, and I mean it does else. fit because it it leads into the scene showing that it's an art installation. It could have been that's anything. The, that's the pull back. Right, point. but it could have been anything. It was just gratuitous. There is no argument for what it is other than the projection of herself onto this art installation. How she loathes herself, and therefore it comes out like this. And let's say the. Uh, the director of this movie, Tom Ford, is a fashion designer, so he would have a certain... Proclivity. ...of how... Correct. ...people are and <laughs> what they look like. And how if a woman felt really bad about herself on the inside, this is how she would feel on the outside. So this movie is a... Uh, the way it is framed, I find quite interesting. Um, The Amy Adams character is having this... has had a relationship in the past... She's now in this other relationship, and she's unhappy. And the past, the guy from the past is a novelist, and he sends her a new novel he's wrote. It's her ex-husband, yeah, not just the guy. All. Yeah, yeah. he sends her a new novel he's wrote, and then that's the framing for the movie. And then the movie is, she opens the novel to read it in bed, and we, like a storybook, go inside the novel, basically, and see the novel playing out as she's reading it. I like that. I thought it was really cool. It feels like two movies. Like there's this pretentiousy movie, and then there's this kind of more grounded movie that's kind of horrific. On the oh, inside. I disagree, but okay. But um, I liked. I really liked how that played out. It felt like two different things. Um, and I preferred. There was a lot of moments in this movie where it came back from the book back to Amy Adams, and I kept thinking, "Go back into the book." That is the interesting part of this it movie. It is really, yeah. Like, I feel like you're cock-blocking me kind of thing. Like, <laughs> like oh, oh, it's getting really good. Oh, now we have to watch her, like, misery around her apartment or whatever. That was kind of... I don't know if you were supposed to feel like that. Like, because it was always getting to something really good. And then it would pull out and she'd put the book down. And she was, oh, oh, I can't, you know, I'm, that was a bit much for me. I have to read some more of that later. And that's how I felt as a viewer, like, a lot. Like, oh... Like, we're stopping there? That was really good. Like, what the hell? Like, why are we going back to this, like, pretentious part? Because this part, I was uninterested in when she was in the art gallery with the other ladies and stuff. All that stuff felt real to me. But the story within the story, which is the novel playing out, I really enjoyed the performances inside that by Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Shannon. I thought were fantastic. And it's actually the first 20 minutes of this movie, once it goes inside the book and there's this incident on the, on the, ro- on the road, it is terrifying and right, full of tension. So one of the problems I have with the movie overall is that first 20 minutes there, all that tension and that really cool scene at the side of the road with the cars and everything, it's almost, the movie almost blows its load right there. And never ever gets as exciting as that part again, right? It doesn't, does it? Even towards the no, end, no. It never gets as good as that. So it's almost like the, it's a like a backwards movie, like the exciting, um, interesting conclusion almost to the movie is up front, 
and then it kind of dwindles off into less interesting as it gets towards the end. Because it really does it really even the big thing in this movie about you know, if you were going to say there's a big thing. I can't even I don't even get I mean there's a thing about like why he wrote the novel and he's kinda you know, the very end scene which you'll think which I won't say, but that very end scene is like it's a there's a statement being made. But it's all downhill from that really awesome beginning part. The acting still stands up the entire time, I think. It's all good acting. And there's some really good people in all these roles. Like, it's not um, a movie where, oh, somebody's crappy and it really... Every time that person's on the screen, I can't deal with it. Everybody's good. But I feel like it's all front-loaded. Like, that yeah. front part was really... and Like, I was like, holy shit, what's going to happen here? It's like a David... Um, it's like a Fincher film. It's like this tense... Oh my god, like, almost like a horror film or a... Um, you don't know what's going to happen at this point. What is this going to be? Like, these people pull pull them over on the side of the road. Well, don't just pull them over. But it's like this horror film, almost. Very tense. Very, very, like, but oh, then it my gut was, like, in knots. And it's and it turns into a mystery thing. Well, it's not, not really ever a mystery, is it? Because some people die. That is... Um, cancelled out pretty quick <laughs> it's not like oh who who died like something like Gone Girl where there's like some kind of oh what happened here like uh, we're going to figure this out that's a thriller right that's a thriller yeah this is not because it, it you when a big event occurs within about what <laughs> 10 minutes that is confirmed right what happened in this movie pretty much it's they a very upfront everything. kind of a thing yeah there's, there's no, no thinking about Oh, who did what and who did this and there's none of that. It's more about the performances, which are very good, like I said. But the story overall, I'm thinking of something else like Hell or High Water, which had a point, a big point to it. It was it was actually about something. Where this is really just about a relationship, but in a overly Overly melodramatic, overly right. soap opera like, big well, baby motherfuckers who just cannot get on with life. And I, this is my, I like the movie. I enjoyed it. I like the kind of the vibe and I like the performances. I like the people for the most part. However, in her life, it is a writerly literature, very fashionista, over the top, pretentious bullshit kind of stuff. And then you get into the story. And, that's and not- it's this, oh, I disagree completely. I think it's all super, like, refined in a way that takes that hell or high water edge off. It's not dirty and gritty. It is as if you've taken a stage play and stuck it in the desert. While the performances are pretty good, it's so, it's so immediate, like, in your face, every single thing. And it also feels really empty. Like, I thought at any moment, it's almost like I was watching something like, um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where it's like actually going to fall apart in this weird. Something's going to weirdly happen. Some other thing is happening. It does have a strange not, feel to it. Yeah, it's not unpretentious at all. It felt completely contrived, down to the like we've got this you know hardcore cop guy who's got a health problem. Don't give a shit anymore. 
But then his caring is not really caring about what's happened to this guy. This guy doesn't seem that upset about his wife and his kid. He's He kind of falls apart, but it's very stagey, which is also a Jake Gyllenhaal kind of a thing. And also, but it's not appropriate. It all felt like it was all gonna. T- it's well, like something also, was gonna twist it on its head. You're actually seeing a novel play out too, like not a real thing. So right, but you're watching the story, so right. it's her pl- playing it out because she's put her ex-husband, who wrote the book, as the lead character. So right. when we meet her ex-husband in a flashback from her real life, it's actually Jake Gyllenhaal. So when she's reading the story, she's put him in that role. And so as we find out why he's written this book as a sort of fuck you to her, revenge, essentially. Not revenge, but Well, yeah, like- it is. Ex- that's what I'm saying. That's so explicit. That's the whole name of the movie. Because the painting on that wall, as she walked by, she oh, goes, said revenge. where do we get this? And you're like, uh, duh, why? Uh, it really lowered the tone to me, like, a lot. The intelligence kept dropping because it felt like it wasn't clever anymore. It felt like, oh, we can have a little... I'm going to find out either that her reading the book is actually the story and this other thing is real or something is going to happen to make it all not seem so by the book, formulaic. We're trying to have a twist and be cool and look fashionable and look awesome all at the same time. Now, uh, all that being said, I still enjoyed it. So, And it, and it does look, cinematography-wise, it looks yeah, awesome. Looks like lovely. It, it's one of those movies where this care took on everything even the pretentious bits they're filmed really well like everything um looks nice uh even the grizzly oh, oh that's another thing even the places that are supposed to be gross kind of look a bit too nice because they film them so well you know there's a part where um aaron taylor johnson's on the toilet outside his exactly it's all a little bit too refined bit, yeah i mean we're talking about a hillbilly never gets takes dirty shit enough. on the porch yeah and it still looks like a set from a movie. I've got to give it that um, I've never seen a movie. Ever. <laughs> you, you know what I'm going to say to you. Yep. That, when uh, a person wipes their spoiler ass Spoiler alert. Literally spoiled. Or maybe soil alert. When a person wipes their ass after taking a dump. <laughs> you actually see the dump on the toilet paper. <laughs> I've never seen that in any movie. I can't recall that ever happening. I can't say that that enhances the movie in any way. That's another thing it's of them first, being... Though. Let's do something here that's outrageous. It's a bit shocking or something. Yeah. I mean, it's not shocking. We because all that guy is not outrageous enough to take a shit and let us see his dirty toilet paper. He is a very half-written bad guy who Maybe compels just, me to be afraid. Maybe you've tapped into the secret of this movie, haven't you? Just that. What? That the novel he's writing is not very good. <laughs> <laughs> she tells him, doesn't she, that she, she should... <laughs> Oh, that's the hook. That's the twist. <laughs> she tells him you should probably stop doing this and go and do something else. Well, his, it's not his very story good. in his novel isn't exactly like you know super creative. Maybe or that's maybe, it's really tragic. maybe we just unlock the secret of this movie. <laughs> so yeah, it's a movie within a movie, a novel within a movie. It's got that kind of thing going on for it. It's not difficult to follow. It's not one of those where it's like, oh, what the hell? Where are we now? What is going on here? Like because there. The, the, the structure of the film is there's her in the pretentious world that she's in. There's her reading the novel and us inside the novel seeing the novel act out. And then there's also, interspersed with all that, it comes out of the novel and shows us flashbacks from her life. <laughs> and it could be 
the time she went so on the date with somebody. you got three things going on. You've got the now, the flashbacks, and the novel. Right. And what I, what I said to you earlier was, I did get the feeling in the movie of she starts to read the novel, and the novel part uh, really gripping and quite intense. And then whenever it got to like a moment where it was going to get awesome, it pulled you back out of it. And it showed you her closing the book because she couldn't take anymore and she wanted to have a rest from reading it. And I said to you, I got the feeling, like every time that happened, and I guess it was the feeling I was supposed to get from it, was, oh, come on, I need to see more of that stuff. What's this stuff? This stuff's just, can we get through this next five minutes of pretentious shit just to get back to see what's happening with Jake Gyllenhaal in in the movie part? That's how it felt to me, that. I agree. So it did feel like two separate movies operating on two separate levels. But then, yes, they do come together and it does make sense what's going on at the end. It, I mean, it makes sense why, you know... Like you say, it just isn't as clever as I think they think it is. It's just well-performed. Definitely not clever at all. There's zero cleverness and all... Oh, it's... See, I felt that about Girl on the Train, what you're thinking. I, I felt yeah. that about the whole of the Girl on the Train. It was... Um, too it was dramatic, too melodramatic. And it's too like we're up its own ass, like pretentious. And I liked like, it. I think more because I identified with her kind of anguish. Whereas in this one, I don't identify with a very rich woman who's just constantly morose about her life. And that, I mean, come on, let's face it, Arnie guy was really shit. Like, he was just, it wasn't who it is, Arnie. Yeah, it was supposed to be pretty bland. Army though, wasn't Hammer. It? Yeah. It was really boring. That like, was the idea of him, It could have been nothing. Yeah. Um, no, but he, you know, he should have been something to make you think this is the person you would leave. Right. Your artsy farts. And all it was, was, but... again, Tom Ford, yeah. fashion man, was, oh, Army Hammer's an attractive looking man. Like, yeah. That's it. <laughs> and look at him, of course. Yeah, of what course. Woman he looks like James Bond. Or yeah, everything is yeah. like somebody thinking about these characters in a way that they do not identify with. That makes them very stagey, musical type characters without the musical. Are you talking about La La Land? <laughs> no, just, I've never seen La La Land. I'm just saying, at any moment they could break out in these heartbreaking songs and, you know. I mean, this movie is like quite dark and maudlin kind of all the time. There's not really any happiness in it <laughs> no. at all. No. So you got to really like a miserable type of film. <laughs> but I liked it a lot. I, I did like it. And it was, what I liked was the performances. So let's move on to the cast. The performances are what drives the entire thing. So Amy Adams plays Susan Morrow. And I said to you, I prefer Amy Adams in this than I did Arrival. I found her more interesting to watch. Um... And she showed some emotion in here, I thought. I mean, like a really weak... Because she's so messed up <laughs> with this, with these relationships she's been having. And unhappy. And you saw her from different sides because you saw her in some flashbacks when she was happy. And then you saw her when she was kind of really damaged. And then you saw her in the middle. You saw different sides of her. thought she was really good. What did you think? Yeah, I think she was the anchor for the whole thing. She wasn't too much. There were moments of just really, really good. Because when she and he were at supper, or at the restaurant, her in and the flashback. Yeah. yeah. And he's telling her, you know, that she's perfect and stuff. And her face and her reaction. When he said that she like has sad eyes like a mother. Yeah, and she's. I got the whole of that character. And then with the mother, um, 
really good scenes. The other ones were more like she's trying to do a throwback to a Hollywood um, diva woman in a movie, you know, who's comes down the grand stairway. Like, Je- like Joan Collins or something. Something where, yeah, she's just broken on the inside and yet she's got millions of dollars and you think you have no identity for her other than this sort of like something tragic has happened. <gasps> Oh, with her hand on her forehead, you know, that kind of thing. Let's, she doesn't go that far, but Let's go to the beach though. for the weekend. She's yeah, we gotta her. fix... Well, she didn't say it that way, but she's like, let's fix this relationship. But the thing is, everything in her life is gonna be broken because she's never gonna be satisfied. This is the whole character. It's very simple to tell. She's completely unsatisfiable in life. At least it, at least we never saw her shrink sessions, because that would have made it over overly... Um... Shrink session. But she goes to the psychiatrist. And oh, just, true. You know, that would have made it really worse. So uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays Tony Hastings. Um, he actually plays two characters because there's the guy inside the book who she projects her ex-husband in. She sees her ex-husband as the character. And then he's actually the ex-husband as well in the real world. So he plays these two characters. The two characters are pretty much the same thing, though. So what did you think of him? I, I really like him, I've got to say. Yeah. He is a uh, intense. He's very intense, and at times it is a bit more than that character, and other times less than that character should be. You know, there. I understand the idea is that he's been accused by her mother and by her at some point in the past of being weak, right? And therefore, the character he's playing now, the the ex husband and the current, right? So in his book, the father husband. You want him to be more angry. You want him to be more, like, aggressive with the the assholes who are attacking him. And he's not, and he's not, and he's not. And so you you realize, okay, well, he's a, he's thinking of him, showing himself as so weak that he can't protect his family. Right. Right? And in those moments, he's, there's, there's too much going, like, laying off, and then when he's supposed to be upset and really intense, it's too much. It's like there's a fine line he didn't quite catch to me. Um, but then, you know... I liked him a lot. I like him overall. Yeah. Uh, Michael Shannon, who was nominated for the Oscar, didn't get it, unfortunately, but he plays Bobby Andes. And he's a, um, like a cop who's... Is he a sheriff? Or is he a cop? I don't know, for sure. He's just FBI. I don't no, know. No, he's not FBI. He's just the local sheriff. Just the local do- yeah. dude. Yeah, and he's on the murder case, basically, w- with Jake Gyllenhaal. And he's not exactly what you might... He's not always what he should be, <laughs> let's say. Um, he was fantastic. He does play those roles really good. The uh, intense, weird... There were moments where I was kind of a bit frightened by him. <laughs> you know where he's just like... You know, he's interviewing that guy in the interview room, and he's just like... Looking at him real intense. But like, see, real those close. were the times when he wasn't intimidating to me because I thought, okay, this is cranked up for um, some sort of literary reason. Like, there's something wrong with him. So maybe there's, maybe he's, I was too heavy in that to me. Hmm. I... Because he wasn't well-rounded at all. All we got was him being the weird, you know true detective kind of weirdness without any backstory or anything. It was, it was just, I awkward. like him, yeah. but he was just, I kept thinking this is a superficial thing and there's going to be something unfold about him that tells us more, but that never happened. So 
Aaron uh, Taylor Johnson, who you will know from his Kick-Ass in the Kick-Ass movies. You say that, but I still don't remember him as that kid. <laughs> Which is unbelievable because you watch two of those movies. Yeah. Um, he plays Ray Marcus, who's like a bad guy in this movie. Um, and yeah, he's un- he's almost unrecognisable. You you know, he's obviously in real life he's British. In this, he does you know whatever this accent is. Is it Texas accent? Yeah. And he's a hillbilly type. And he just disappears. I didn't even realise it was him. And I didn't, didn't at all. <laughs> and then after a while, I was like, I was looking at his face, so I was like, that actually looks a bit like the kick-ass kid. But is it? Or isn't it? I don't know. I can't tell. And the how he played this, he was very intimidating. And I've never seen him and like mental. that. Mental. Was, he was good. To, to be honest, I feel like he was the best He won the Golden character. Globe for this. Of the movie, even though it's a little over the top at times, but in this, in the context of everybody else around him, it didn't stand out. And I could imagine that guy being that weird, <laughs> you know, amongst yeah in that setting. Isn't, isn't, so it didn't that whole scene's very me. intense. The uh, car scene, it's just oh, yeah. really intense. Yeah, so. yeah, and it's a lot of it is down to him because he's the intimidating one during that. Um. Army Hammer plays Hutton Morrow. He's got a very novelish kind of name, hasn't he? Hutton Morrow. Uh, yeah, he's the um, new husband of Amy Adams. And he is just a suave businessman, I guess, who uh, is cheating on her. <laughs> Let's just say that. Uh, what did you think? It doesn't of- even matter. It's completely I mean, irrelevant. It's just a- he is irrelevant. His I think it was hired is, because he was attractive. His part is completely useless. It makes no sense, really, in the whole of it, except all you had to do was say that her marriage broke up because she decided to go with somebody else, and you did not need him. You don't need that scene of her finding, knowing that he's cheating on her. None of that is relevant to the story at all. Like, it's so... It's just added in there as if someone wants to write the soap opera, and that was that's unfortunate because it doesn't move your story forward. It doesn't tell you any more about... This woman's relationship with her ex-husband, other than he was a like a pawn in it, and that's it. So, so all it shows you is the two kind, the two guys she went that she's gone for. These two types of guys. Um, Michael Sheen's another one. He's only in it briefly, very briefly. It's obviously, I would imagine there's more to him in the novel or something. But it's really like it doesn't matter. <laughs> really irrelevant. She talks to a, again. She talks to a woman. And the woman says, a friend. You deserve to be happy. Yeah, and my husband's gay, and I don't care. And we're perfectly happy. Yeah, it's real. So you should just be happy. Yeah. Or you deserve to be unhappy, just like everyone else. And that's all they exist for, (laughs) these two people. Yeah. So yeah, there's nothing to it. Like, so Michael Sheen, if you're going in for him, nothing to it. And Laura Linney, finally, as the mother. One of my favorite scenes. And she told me more about her character than a lot of them did. And in a very short period of time. And I thought she was exactly right. Exactly right. So this is directed by famous fashion designer Tom Ford. He's actually from... Um, his, well, Tom Ford Clothing. Go to Tom Ford and you'll see. <laughs> he makes designer clothing. He's kind of like a Ralph Lauren kind of guy. Uh, obviously, not first and foremost a film director. But like 12 years ago, he made a movie called A Single Man. And uh, people quite liked it. So he doesn't make films very often because <laughs> it took him 12 years to make another one. But uh, what do you think of Tom Ford as a director here? 
it, I know it his cinematography nice is and everything. definitely good. And it's just that it's not my vibe, this, um, I don't know, melodrama. It's a musical without the music and, like, it's deep and dark without a reason for it to be deep and dark. You know, if you'd found out something real, I mean, yes, what we find out is very traumatic. It's very, you know, it's inexcusable in a marriage. It's a rough thing to go through. And yet, compared to all the other sort of movie story things you could have thrown at this couple that she could have done. To have made it, to make a really horrible thing in their past that would have made it so much more interesting than what we get. That to me, it's over dramatizing, you know. The thing so. is, she does very believable type of thing. Absolutely. It's not over the top. Absolutely. But that, that and then, makes now it she's less... been pun- And then, oh, then you're right. Okay, she's punished herself for 20 years and he's punishing her now after 20 years. Yeah. And that is it. <laughs> like there's no seems like a long way about trying to punish somebody doesn't it hold on hold on hey, um, yeah we had this shitty breakup so just give me 20 years I'll write this shit and then you'll see yeah I'll show you <laughs> yeah I won't you know can, can... but when the director is discussing it and he's saying like you know now she's free from her life and she's broken free by reading this novel and he's moved on and I can see in his body language and everything he sees this as a great drama yeah and, and it is it based on this novel that's not actually his so yeah but i mean it isn't though now if someone some people could read that so oh it's so tragic but it isn't that's it's, how i felt about girl on the train yeah people read that book and got overly enamored by it but i watched the movie version of it and i went, think because i liked her so much hmm. and i really got her person that she was the character and there were a few people in there that I really enjoyed as well. But I understand what you mean by it's a little too wrapped up in its own tragedy. Hmm. And it makes you Without feel it like... being super tragic, except then it's over the top. Like, um, what's the one with um, Eagle Eye? I don't know why I call him Eagle Eye. <laughs> Transformers kid. Yeah. And Shia the, the neighbor turns out to be like, I mean, don't spoil anything, but I'm just saying that little twist. I like that one. What was that? I forget. With neighbor. The... Something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the one with Shia LaBeouf, and he's like house on arrest. house arrest, yeah. and uh, it's just like a. He thinks like, that the neighbor is doing something horrible, yeah. you know. I actually, quite like that. <laughs> and see, that one to me was really. But it's silly. Like, <laughs> yeah, but this um, this movie kind of fits to me with Girl on a Train. It's kind of like this art trying to be very artsy, but really the middle core of the story. I can tell is you, kind it looks a hell of a lot better than Arrival. Yeah, but the middle core of the story is not an artsy thing at all. It's it's just a there's a in this movie particular Nocturnal Animals, there is a, a kind of a, a drama, a, a not a thriller, a murderish kind of drama thing in the middle there that is being surrounded by the outside of it, which is the outside the non part of the book, which is the not what he kept calling it the normal world it's not really very normal because you can only relate to it if you're like a multi-millionaire correct so that's what i'm talking about the old-fashioned hollywood idea that everyone lives in a big ominous mansion on a hill and those are the stories that you know that you're supposed to like 
I don't know, aspire to be. But oh, look how tragic their life is as well. It's not so great being rich. But I got to give it to the cinematography. It's very good. They filmed it on film, so unlike Arrival, which was filmed digitally, <laughs> and it has don't that... blame the digital shit for Arrival's look because uh, that's not the Arrival problem. was digitally. Uh, the reason it looked like it did was they filmed it digitally first, which makes it fairly flat the image, and then secondly they graded it to make it more flat. This one's filmed on film, so you get more blacks and depth to the film. And it really, it shows. No, I disagree with you completely. We've seen lots of digital film where there's lots of really good contrast and look absolutely fucking amazing. So you can't blame that. Arrival's horrible look on that. And you can't say that this one looks great because it's on film. Because we've seen a lot of shitty films on film. So I think that is just one of those pretentious things people say. Sorry. I think this movie does look great. The cinematography is excellent. Really top-notch. Nothing to do with the film, though. No, I think it is partly to do with the film. I disagree. That's how you get your better contrast. No, no, because we've seen many movies made with digital that look amazing. So you can't say that. I mean, you can say Like, you don't have the issue in this movie with, like, I can't see what's going on, do you? So... And so better. every other movie we've seen that's made on digi- that made and the, digital... And this movie's called Nocturnal Animals, so 80% of it takes place in the dark. And it never you never go, oh, I can't really see anything. It's, it's yeah, that and I have that problem with most digital movies anyway. So I think that's just a, like a thing people say. I don't think it's accurate. Well, the movie we watched last week, you com- you said, and that was a digital movie. I know, they're not all like that, though. That's my point. Well, the ones that play, take place in the... The idea with digital cameras, when it's dark, they're poorly edited. They cannot. And the people don't have a standard the, by the end of it to make it look right. It's nothing to do with the medium. If you blame the medium, then you're a shitty artist. It's not poorly edited. Poorly edited, as in you don't see what needs to be corrected, or you are satisfied with the way it looks by the end of it when it's not actually satisfactory. Or you're looking at it on equipment that a normal person or a theater is never ever ever going to see it as. And so the way it looks is different. So I do not blame the medium. That's like saying, well, I'm a shitty painter because my canvas is too bumpy. No. You're a shitty painter because you're a shitty painter. Or you could make the canvas work All right, for and I will say this movie is shot on film and looks very good. <laughs> That's a fair statement. Because it has very good cinematography. All the time, actually. Um, it's, it's There's a lot of composed shots. And even these part in the desert actually looks cleaner and yeah. more... Yeah, yeah. You but know. not because it's film. Um, so yeah, I don't know about Tom Ford. I didn't see his other movie, and this one—if this is his kind of vibe every time—I don't know if I would want to follow along. He needs to settle in because his sense of style, and I can tell that he believes in his story a lot. Yeah, like he deep, he deeply he into it, he? cares about the characters that are in there. So that's a good thing. It's just get over the hump of wanting to make it into a dramatic Broadway musical or Broadway play that people walk away pretentiously telling each other how great it is and then never really thinking about it much afterwards. That's kind of how I get. But I, I, I would like to see him try it again. Um, the, the only extras on this Blu-ray are the making of Nocturnal Animals. It's split into three parts. Uh, it's, it lasts 11 minutes, actually. It's not very much to it. It was all right, though, because you got to hear him talk. You do get so to actually... I didn't. I've never really seen Tom Ford talk, so you get a little bit of that. Um, for some reason, all the interviews are in black and white, where the clips from the movies are not. That was pretentious. That's because, even. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, pretentious oh, we're in black is and the white. Word of the day. There's no reason to be in black and white. But Let you're me in look black. up the definition of pretentious. Um, yeah. So the extras are. Okay, 
attempting to impress by affecting greater importance, talent, culture, etc., than is actually possessed. That is precisely correct. Yeah, because you can... Like, I saw a description of this movie saying it's just an... The core of the movie is just a average crime crime movie. It's even less than that. It's with than that. a pretentious wax around the outside <laughs> like a ball. And I, I did fair. agree with that because that's how it feels. It actually feels like two movies and it feels like the, they, the, the people who made it or wrote it feel that the cleverness of the movie is to frame a movie within a novel with an exterior of real world. that That's what's clever. But it isn't really that clever. I bet no. you can find that in many movies, you know? So, uh, yeah, the extras are 11 minutes worth. And that's it. So, it's not mega. But, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, so, overall, Nocturnal Animals. I feel like we shit on it, but we didn't. We didn't. I enjoyed it. I did. I did. However, I can, I can separate enjoying the experience of a movie... Just like Independence Day or Independence Resurrection, Resurgitation, whatever. It wasn't I can that, separate the experience of watching and kind of wanting to explore the story, you know, like in a place you've never been with people you've never been with. I can appreciate that and at the same time understand it's not a well-crafted thing. Now, that being said, I can also sit and watch some really crappy movies and be perfectly happy not to pick them apart. Like, I like any zombie movie. It doesn't matter how shitty it is. So, you know, I, I get it that it's... Some people will find this to be an amazing film. Oh, my God. You know, they'll watch it multiple times, try to unlayer everything. There's I not just, much in that respect, but the acting is worth... You know, you might want to sit and watch some of the performances again. But as far as, like, watching it several times to... Find all the hidden stuff. I don't feel like there is any. Really. It's pretty much straightforward. So uh, thanks to Universal for the Blu-ray. If you want to enter a contest, go to aschoolie.com. You can enter and win something. Uh, Next week's Blu-ray review is uh, Clint Eastwood's new movie, Sully, with Tom Hanks. So we'll be looking at that next week. Movie recommendations. I am going on the subject of uh, nocturnal animals. I went with one movie that I love with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and one movie with Amy Adams. The one that I love with Jake Gyllenhaal is Nightcrawler. Everybody should see this movie. Uh, a very late performance from Mr. Bill Paxton in it. Really um, good. So, and Jake Gyllenhaal plays... What you think this is at the beginning is not really what it plays out to be. It is an odd movie. I don't. I can't think of another movie that is like that. It's a really no, odd... No, it is. Yeah. But it's, it's but got cool. all the layers that you want to kind of... It's about a guy who uh, not not no we've reviewed it, but it's about a guy who uh, goes and captures wants to be something, yeah, and then makes it happen in a horrible way. <laughs> in L.A., I believe. Yeah. And my second one is an Amy Ad- with Amy Adams is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, and she is awesome in that movie. And The Master is a late another late performance for, from Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, like an exceptionally well acted movie. That is has got layers to it, and you can watch it again. Which a lot of people might say is also pretentious, because he can be. Yeah, if you you think about it. However, because we the masters look at it from a different angle, it doesn't seem that way. I with Paul Thomas Anderson, who's one of my favorite directors. I will definitively say, Inherent Vice is him at his most pretentious. Yeah, I agree. And even I couldn't get behind Inherent Vice. (laughs) It didn't do anything for me at all. 
But The Master, I think, is a fine movie as well as There Will Be Blood, you know? So, uh, but yeah, Inherent Vice, oof, lost me completely. So yeah, I would recommend Nightcrawler and The Master. And I will recommend, I'm going back to 1987, we're doing the 30 years ago kind of a thing, my own type of flashback, if you will, Harry and the Hendersons, which is really cute. Don't make a funny face, it was from 1987. Does Harry and the Hendersons have layers of... uh... Yes, because it's about heart and family and about (laughs) Does it have any pretentious moments? Not at all, no. It's got John Lithgow and Bigfoot, so no, not at all. And the other one is Predator. The original Predator. Now, let me explain a little something to you. Get to the chopper. I saw it back then. Probably went to see it or saw it on video shortly after it came out on video. But then, years later, I was living in Florida, kind of in a weird situation. And this dude, my sister and I lived in this house with this dude who was sort of a gun hoarder. Super paranoid about the law coming down on him. Never knew exactly why. Maybe maybe I knew a few reasons, but... And he would put this movie on, and he had... This was, like, in the 90s, so we're talking about early 90s, so middle 90s. So his system wasn't all digital and shit. It was, like, these giant speakers, right? And this old, big TV. It wasn't old at the time, but now it seems really old. Hooked it all up. And it was so loud... And if I was, because I'd go with my sister to work at night, she worked at a bar, and I would go sit there during the, I mean, I wasn't a kid or anything, I was in my 20s, and hang out with her, and then we'd come home like at four in the morning and then go to bed. Well, he would turn this movie on, and it would be blasting, and the house would be rattling. Like our, um, And his sister. thing was, then he would have dudes come over, they would go out by the pool, or out by this little sh- shacky in the backyard, and his house was surrounded by trees, even though he was in a city, it was very weird. And what my sister explained to me was, well, he turns up that music because he thinks people might be listening. Or he turns up the TV or the music or whatever. But that movie was the one he'd turn on. So after a while, I kind of gave up. And I would just go in the living room, wrap up in a blanket. It was weird because I'm in Florida, looking out at the pool and this big TV and watching Predator over and over. Sometimes three times in a day it would be on. And I got to where I fell in love with it. So totally. <laughs> so I have no real intelligent reason. To be really, really dig that movie. Except for that, I was bonded with it because I was sort of, just sort of stuck with it for a while. I couldn't avoid it. Just thank so. God it wasn't Predator 2 that it was playing over and over. <laughs> Could have been anything, but for some mm. reason. And the, now I haven't watched it for years. So, you know. But Predator is one of my favorite sci-fi. Jesse Ventura. Because and, another uh, one of those ideas. Like with Independence Day Regurgence. Resident Evil Regurgence. (laughs) Not Resident Evil. (laughs) The idea of why the aliens are coming is really interesting. It isn't just, you know, we're going to come and mill around and kill everybody and do some weird shit. It's like very specific. Whereas in Predator, if you don't understand the title, (laughs) this alien race is like an intergalactic predator. They are a hunter. So they hunt down all types of aliens. So when you go in their ship, you will see the heads of, for example, of the alien from Alien. And that's in Predator 2, I believe. My favorite reason for aliens to come is Peter Jackson's bad taste. Yeah. And the reason <laughs> they come because we're fast food to them. And we're not a, just fast food. It's not and even there's that. a chain of fast food restaurants. We're not even fast, just fast food. We are like... We're not for sustenance or anything. It's like a high. Luxury light. You get like, yeah. no. It's like That's what it was. It sleazy. was space. The space thing. Yeah. Well, there's an intergalactic chain of restaurants. And they use us. Sell humans. People get like a weird high off yeah. of eating our That's my essence favorite. or whatever. 
Spoiler. It's not a good spoiler. It's, it's a really cheapo <laughs> movie, but the idea of that. Soylent Green! Soylent Green is people! Oh, there's no spoiler for you. <laughs> What's that? That's from a book. I'm not seeing that book. I'm not seeing that movie. Or a TV show, maybe. Miniseries. I know what it is, but I don't know that quote. Also from Twilight Zone. Alright, so um, games and A-Scully stuff. I've been playing more of Horizon Zero Dawn on the PlayStation 4. You've seen quite a bit of it, probably. Yeah, well, little bits and pieces. It's a great looking, great playing, long, really long. Lots of story, lots of detail. I've uncovered quite a bit of the mystery recently in my latest plays. Don't really want to give it away because it's actually really good. Like an intelligent, well thought out, it seems, story in a video game, which is few and far between because most video games have really dumb, very basic stories that there's not much to them. This story is worth uncovering yourself, I think. Um, so yeah, Horizon Zero Dawn. It still plays really well. It's really fun. I've seen most of the map now, I think. It's got its different areas. Snowy, forests, deserts. Really fun to play. Um, the other thing I have on my list today is a Resident... No, Independence Day Regurgence. We already reviewed that. Awful. Mm-hmm. Don't bother with that one. That is not fair, because they should see it. Everyone should watch it, and then make up your own mind. Yep, watch it if you really want to. But uh, Svengoolie, what is it? Svengoolie is a horror host, horror host who dresses up funny on Saturday nights and makes a show on MeTV where he presents within two hours an old movie, usually from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, sometimes up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But this week is Phantom of the Opera from 1945. There are many regurgents of this particular story, which I find really boring. I find Phantom of the Opera one of the most boring stories I've ever heard in my life. Really? Every every iteration of it I find boring. I'm not into the drama of it. This poor, disfigured person living in the rafters of a theater trying to gain the love of or revenge on somebody because of broken heart. Do you not like the Hunchback of Notre Dame either? That's different because he's more sad. He doesn't really have a choice. Phantom of the Opera, I think, different iterations have him getting injured or something in a different way. But the Hunchback of Notre Dame has no control over his circumstance whatsoever. So he's more sad. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we'll see how Phantom of the Opera I've seen goes. various incarnations of it. And, I don't think uh, I've seen this one. I don't think we've seen this one, no. We did see another one on Swanguli, another version of it, but it wasn't this one. It was with Vincent Price, I believe. So what's for dinner? Tonight will be rice with peas. Now, over the last couple weeks, over the last week, we had the HelloFresh dinners, and they were, how would you describe them in one word? Fresh. No, an actual word. Hello. Whatever. They were absolutely delicious. Can you not just actually think about it? What word would you use to describe them? They're not delicious, because that's too boring. Different. Different's not good. When my mother refers to anything as different, she she whispers it. She goes, well, he's kind of different. So I mean, no, I don't mean that. I mean, different as in not like everyday things. But they weren't they weren't tasty or fun or any those, of that. Those words would work too, but I only had one word I could use. <laughs> well, you didn't follow the rules of the game. Correct. <laughs> well, it was really, it was fun. They're super tasty. And it got me to want to cook a little more with what I have because... I discovered I liked farro. Farro, which I bought today. So we'll make yeah. it again. I just, you know... When you're making it according to a recipe and they give you all the ingredients and then you cook it and it's just right. It is just right. When you wing it, like I've winged, I made our own sweet and sour chickeny things after yeah. that and it was amazing. And I used a lot of the ideas and the, you know, 
it teaches you to cook a little more, which I'm pretty good at cooking. You've actually uh, got another one coming. Correct. So for this, uh, tonight will be a corn. Q-U-O-R is the brand. We don't eat meat, so we eat these. With carrot sauce. Yes. I've got a can of carrots that I'm going to heat up, puree, and turn into like a sauce, like gravy. I've never, never heard of that. I'm making it up. Don't make weird faces at me. You love things that are dark. I don't like sort of, If Jamie fucking Oliver said there's a carrot sauce for your chicken filet, you'd be like, ooh, that sounds good. Don't deny it. I don't like carrots very much. You'll love it. It's not a carrot. It'll be carrot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, it's canned carrots, which you do like. Why do you like them? Because they're mushy. This is going to be extra mushy, so that'd right. be perfect. And what so is your advice before we leave? Our, my advice is... Desire less. Like, this woman needs to desire less in this movie. And do more with your life. Don't sit there and desire a better marriage. And desire better friendships. And have a desire for more shit. Just do more. Because even if you do stuff that doesn't fulfill those desires, the doing of your life is more satisfying than satisfying your desires. So... You take that for what it is. If you don't understand what I mean, then that's fine. But desire less, which is kind of a lazy way of approaching life. Just constantly yearning for something more and blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying don't be ambitious or motivated to do things in life. You need to do them. Don't desire them. Do them. If you're not happy in your marriage, do something about it. If you're not happy at your job, do something about it. Don't just desire a better job. Because magic doesn't happen in this world. <laughs> well, know? it does. Well, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it you, doesn't, actually. Have you seen Harry Potter? <laughs> oh, that world. That world, not this world. Yeah. So, desire less, do more. All right, so I'll remind you about our website, sayscully.com and sitsart.com. You can catch us on Twitter and Facebook. You can also catch this podcast on the iTunes Music Store, the Google Play Store, the RSS feed, aschoolie.com. Just click on the word podcast. You can listen on the page. You can listen to all the archives of all the old shows on the page. All of them are there. Um, there are 470 of them for you listen to you, of them for you to listen to, which will take approximately several years. No, no. <laughs> hour and a half each times 400. One hour times 400 is 400 hours plus 200. Plus Carry the 200. So that's 600 hours of your life. 24 hours into 600 is what? You're the math guy. I'm not the math guy. So <laughs> I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> Someone else can figure it out. 12, uh, 12 years. If you do the marathon and you never stop, let us know how long it took. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah. Uh, so tune in uh, email. Tune into our email. I don't know what that means. Um, email me at aschoolateaschoolate.com. Don't email Sid Talk. She hates your guts. I don't hate anybody. And uh, stay tuned. Well, don't stay tuned. Go away. Come back this time next week when we review Clint Eastwood's Sully. And uh, stay classy. Mr. I was going to say Mr. Amy Adams. Sir Amy Adams. <laughs> nice. And I'm going to say, think for yourself or someone will do it for you. <laughs>